Today we're going to talk about removing doubt from your life. Now so many times we walk with doubt and especially when it comes to the word faith. I remember a time in my life when we, when the emotion around the word faith was always negative. You know, when somebody would say faith, there was a kind of a joy with it, but also a negativity. Uh, it was almost like going to a gambling house where you're going to gamble, and there is an excitement that is with it, but there's also a, a frustration because you don't know if you're going to hit it lucky. You don't know if it's going to work for you today because faith has always been connected towards having a breakthrough or having a healing or a miracle or something like that, you know. So um, the, the word faith or the word belief was always accompanied with mixed feelings, a joy because, yes, you know, that is, that is the way that I don't even have to work. I'm, I'm just believing. But that belief was like a massive, heavy steel gate where you can look through and you can see the promise on the other side and there's this mystical place that you've got to reach in moving that gate and once you've moved the gate then you can walk in and have all the promises that was promised you so when i would hear the word faith it was like this hit and miss thing that i had to uh, bring up in myself to get myself to a place where I can now make use of what God has given me or to actually get God to do something for me, to get His Spirit to actually manifest something for me where I would go through different, um, you know, how can I say, almost rituals, you know, quoting of Scripture, saying, God, I trust you, God, I trust you, God, I trust you, and all those kind of things, trying to work up in our faith so that I can get somewhere. You know, when we think of the word faith, there's an emotion to it. In the very same way, there's an emotion to worship. Uh, there's, there's an emotion to the word love. There's an emotion to all these different Christian concepts. If I say righteousness, if I say justification, the human mind has got a cognitive understanding of that plus and feeling that is with it. If I say tithing, you know, there is a feeling with it. If I say sowing and reaping, there's a feeling with it. If I say um, the blowing of the shofar, there is a feeling towards that. There's a, there's a connection there that, that, is, that is an emotion. And we want the emotion, when it comes to faith, to be one of excitement and joy and rest. One that's, ah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm comforted. I feel safe. Uh, because my heart is at rest in the integrity of God. Now, um, when we look at faith, and I, I think I've mentioned some of this last week already, uh, but we're going to get deeper into this. When we get into faith, there's something we need to understand, and that is that the gospel does not demand faith. Some might say, oh, back to you now, universalist, because you say the gospel does not demand faith. No, the gospel does not demand faith the gospel supplies faith. Let me say that again. The gospel does not demand faith, but the gospel supplies faith. God does not need your faith to do anything. And I want you to know that. We need to, we need to get these things out of our mind that God cannot do anything if I don't bring enough faith to the table. I need to bring faith to the table. If I bring faith to the table, then... I mean, God, will, God brings all the possibilities to the table and then the first concrete thing that actually gets put on the table is my faith and up to that, everything is spiritual. So I've got to have concrete proof of faith and that is the first thing that's put on the table. So there's nothing on the table and I, there's a spiritual promise and I put the first physical thing down there and that is proving that I can walk with faith and then when that is on the table, then God brings the, the promises, uh, the fulfillment of the promises to the table, and so we've got a, a meal together. Now, that is not how it works, and I would like you to know that God does not need the faith of anybody to do anything. He by himself 
decided when he created the world to say, and was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they spoke, and there was light. And the Bible says, in the beginning, they created the heaven and the earth, and God did it that way. And even after everything was destroyed, and God came with a recreation, and what he was saying, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And his spirit was hovering over the, and he spoke, and he needed the faith of no man to create the heavens and the earth. He needed the faith of nobody to do what he did. Amen. He created everything by himself. And uh, God, now you might say, but, but in order for God to work with humans, faith is needed. Yes, in order for man to partake in what God does, man needs faith. Man's heart needs faith. God doesn't need faith to do something for you. You see, we've got this idea that Jesus actually did nothing in his death and in his resurrection. No, long before you were born, he brought forth the victory over your sin and over your death without your contribution, without your faith. He brought all of that forth. Now you might say, Bertie, but the whole Bible is full of the word of faith. You know, it's full of we must believe. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that God can actually do something without you believing in Him. As what parents can buy a house and have a car and buy a stroller without a baby even being born or having any faith in the parent, the parent can do that. In the very same way, God can actually bring forth things without our faith, where He doesn't need our faith. Now, as the child grows up, you're going to find that the child will have to trust the judgment of his parents in order for the child to make use of the wisdom and the knowledge of that parent. So the child will need faith. It's not that the father needs faith. It's the child needs faith. That is, that's what's, what's needed. You know, I've, um, my, my, my one son got this great opportunity and I'm, I'm so grateful for this opportunity uh, to do uh, a video. He had, he's got to do the video part of it, of an interview and a whole, like a documentary wherein they come and they bring awareness to organ donation. And uh, he will be, I mean, we've already shot the first interview with a man who's going to have a heart transplant. He's going to have that and interviews with the doctors. And as, we're actually going to film the, um, the operation itself where the heart transplant takes place and all of that. And as we were, we spoke to doctors and we went into the theater and set up two of my old cameras um, that I used to use in my broadcasting here, set that up and um, we, we realized that we, well, this is what he said, where we need a, a camera that's going to shoot from the top. And what we need is like a GoPro, a little GoPro, that kind of a camera, we need that. Now, I mean, I don't need any camera. Here I, here I am. I've got all the cameras I need. I've got everything I need. I don't need anything. Uh, but what he needs, he needs one of those little cameras. Now, his brother's got one of those cameras. So what we said is, let us give a call to him and hear if we can use his camera. He said, yes, for sure. You know, congratulations with what has happened. It's so great that you guys can go and do this. So um, because my son needed that little camera, that's why I needed one. I wanted one of those cameras. Why? Because he needed one. But it was not because I was in need of it. So the reason why I say this is so that we can know in our heart that it is not as if God is sitting in heaven and he needs persuasion to do something for us. He's already been persuaded of your value. He's already been persuaded of your beauty. He's already been persuaded of your design. He already knows who you are. And when, what he sees is that all the good that he has done, all the good that he has brought forth, all the wonderful things that he has dreamt for us, the eternal life, his quality of life, how, what he will establish in the earth, all those things, when he sees what he has got and what he has already brought forth by his faith or the faith of Jesus, what he has brought forth in that cannot be appropriated by you. You cannot use that if you don't trust him. So when he looks at the situation, he says, well, I'm in need of faith. I need these people to believe. Now, 
When we read scriptures that the Bible says without faith is impossible to be saved, it can easily be read as a demand that God has placed upon people and if they don't believe, then he's not going to move and he's not going to do anything. Now, I want to tell you, and I'm saying that again, God doesn't need your faith to move. God doesn't need your faith to move. You need to trust Him in order to believe what He actually says. You, you need to be able to trust Him to believe the promise. Now, if somebody comes and promises you something, imagine I go and um, uh, I, I see somebody in the street and I know that there is a wonderful thing that has taken place. You know, there's maybe one shop that, that's dishing out televisions. And I go into the street and I say to somebody out there, listen man, you know, just come with me uh, to another shop. I'll even take you with my car. They're dishing out televisions. Just get in the car. I'll take you there. Do you think that person's going to get in the car? No, he's going to say, that he's going to be looking for the gun. You know, what, where's the gun I have? Because this is an armed robbery or this is a robbery or this is a kidnapping or something like that. He's not going to trust He's definitely not going to trust me, even if I want to give him something for free. So what, what I would have to do if I want to bless him is I will have to produce trust in his heart. I will have to uh, do things that in such a way that he can believe me, that he can trust me. One of the things that I would have to do is I would, I would a, a, a thing that would really help is if he sees there's three TVs, in my backseat. Then he would say, and you would say to him, listen man, I've just gotten these three TVs from there, and it's a crazy thing, there's still not many people there, I can quickly take you there, do you want one? I can take you there and you can get one for free. When he sees certain evidence, when he sees those three TVs in the back seat there, then he will say, well, yes, and he'll get, or the chance will be much bigger. So, do I need faith to get him to get a TV? No, I don't need faith. He needs faith. He needs to trust me. He needs to trust me. Why? It's, it's not that I, I will only take him there once he believes. It, doesn't, it, it, it isn't as if the store starts to dish them out the moment he believes. It is something that is already true. So what, what the gospel does is, the good news is this, God came, ended our sin, ended our death, it's a reality. And now he sees that mankind, and, and he wants to tell them, listen, I've got eternal life for you, but they cannot believe, believe him. This was even true in the Old Testament. In the Old, God wanted man to know that he can give them eternal life. In the Old, uh, God wanted man already to know that by their works they cannot be saved. In the old, he already wanted man to trust him, to know that he can conquer their death and he can conquer their sin. But it was so difficult for people to actually believe in God. There were some folk in the old, if you go and re read the book of Hebrews, that did trust and believe in God and they were seeking for a city of which God is the builder. In other words, they were seeking for something that God will bring forth and that they will not bring forth. That's what they were seeking for. And there were some that believed unto Jesus who would still come. So they had faith. But we find in the, uh, uh, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are now seeing what God has actually done. And, and this is what I believe the gospel is all about. It is how God in Jesus Christ did certain things that can bring forth faith in the hearts of people. So I want you to know this. If you hear the word faith, you can so easily think, how will I be, faith actually is a thing that disqualifies many people because it's such a difficult, mystical thing. You know, can we really have faith? How will we have enough faith? Faith and the word enough is immediately together in most people's minds when we hear, hear the word faith. But I want to tell you the word faith and enough, I don't think it comes, I haven't seen a place and I can't recall a place where faith and enough uh, is mentioned together, that you must have enough faith or you don't have enough. 
It is some, it's a man-made thing that was born out of disqualification that there is in man's hearts because they've made a work out of faith instead of uh, faith as a fruit of God's work. The word love is in what I would call in, in fruitful. That means if I say I love something, it implies that something has won my heart. That is what it implies. You love, you cannot love without a reason. Let me say that again. You cannot love without a reason. In the very same way, you cannot trust without a reason. And unless somebody gives you a reason to love him, you will never be able to love him. And unless he comes inside a, a, a parameter wherein you, uh, he, he, he is seen as beautiful to you. He is seen as lovely to you. You will never be able to love that person. There has to be something inside that person that excites your mind and excites your heart and uh, that uh, um, brings joy to you when you see him. And that emotion and that feeling and that power that comes to you when you behold that value and behold that beauty is called love. In the very same way as what love is a fruit, in the very same way faith is a fruit. You cannot just decide to have faith. You can say, Bertie, but that, that means it's God's fault that people don't have faith. No, it is not God's fault that people don't have faith. And we can talk about what God is doing to persuade people's hearts and how he goes about to do that. I do believe that we can yield to faith that rises in our hearts. In other words, God can bring forth a persuasion in our heart and he brings it forth by his doing, by him bringing the evidence to the table. And as that evidence rises in our heart, we can decide, and I think that's where the will of a man or the choice of man comes in, where you can decide, I want this or I don't want this. This is for me or this is not for me. But as pertaining to bringing forth a persuasion in your heart, it is of God to bring it forth in you. Faith doesn't come by the decision of man. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, I can't remember if I said it last week, but we're going to quickly look at this. I think maybe I mentioned this a month or two ago. I just feel in my heart to just minister on this again. And this is what it says here. Uh, when you take the third definition of the word faith and you take it together and, and just take all the small definitions out of it and just bring the main definitions to the front. Faith is the condition a person finds him in once someone else has won his friendship. Okay, let me say that again. Faith, a, a persuasion or a trust. Now, we can. there's a difference between faith and belief, but please hear what I'm saying here. Faith or, let me put it this way, belief, to believe in Him. The Bible says, how shall we be saved unless we believe in Him? How will you believe in somebody that is not believable or that is not trustworthy? Now, faith, when you have true faith or when you believe in God, is when you've come to the place where He has won your friendship. Now, we need to define friendship as well. A friend is someone that entertains someone else because you want His presence. So when, you've, when God has come and He's come to a place where He has entertained you to the point that you say, I only want His presence. I like this guy. I want to be around him. What do we do with friends? Friendship is very simple. If somebody becomes your friend, and this is the way I see it is, where you go and you want to visit him without selfish reasons, not for business reasons or any of those things, where you simply, simply desire his presence. You desire his smile, you desire the, their humor, you just desire to be with them because you like what you see and it is entertaining to you in the sense of it brings joy to your heart to be with them. It is also a person where his presence brings forth the very same in your life where you want to be good to that person. Now, faith 
according to Thayer, means, this is one of the meanings is, when a person, if you take the root word and the consequence, this is what it talks about, it's when you find yourself in the position where someone else has won your friendship. That is faith. You know, faith is not blind trust. Faith is not seeing no reason to trust and then trust. No, that's not how it works. Uh, you will find in the old, you know, God would appear to Moses. There would be a fire burning and the bush will burn and it will not burn out and God will speak and there would be a supernatural sign or something that took place so that this person can believe or trust. There was some form of connection. In the very same way I believe in the New Testament and with us, God came and brought something forth so that we can have faith, so that we can be persuaded. You know, if I want to do something good to you, like I said in the previous example, like I, you're a stranger and I want to give you television, I will have to win your friendship. The quicker I can win your friendship, or let me put it this way, the quicker I can supply you with trust in me, the quicker you will partake in what I've dreamt for you. That is the way it works. I've seen that in raising kids. My, my oldest son is now third year in university. And when we, when we speak, the way we talk to each other is completely different than the way when he was 16 years of age. You know, when he was 16 years of age or when he was 12 years of age, it is, you know, Dad, can you take me there? Or Dad, may I have that? Or, you know, it's, it's kind of a father providing for a son. And yes, there would be some Obviously, some communication that is more mature, where we talk to one another from a friendship foundation. But now that he is in university, I see things have changed. I found that um, my experience is that when you are, when your kids are in the home, and I've seen that with myself as well, when kids are in the home, they so many times just live on the faith of their parents. I would do the study in the Word, I would preach, they would be in every one of my sessions, they would believe the Gospel, because their dad believes the Gospel. And that is what is taught in the house. But then when he goes out of the house, and he goes to university, and he's studying a difficult course, and it is him, and that exam, him, that exam paper, and God, then he starts to get his own relationship with God. You know, it's like... He started to pray for himself. He starts to think, man, what's that thing my dad said again about the goodness of God? You know that, uh, man, I, I don't know if I've studied enough. I feel condemned. Although I've studied eight hours or ten hours or three days, I still feel I haven't studied enough. How can, You get an accusation. You cannot pass this test because you haven't given the... No, no. I, I remember dad told me that my God, he helps those that has messed up. You know, he helps, it is not by my works, it's by his goodness. And he empowers, and he's a, a good God. And you start to think about those things. And then, when there's a phone call, uh, you know, to the dad, it is, Dad, can you please just explain that thing to me again, and uh, how we apply it to this area or that area of your life? You know, that kind of a thing. Because there's a mature relationship. Why? Because the life I've lived, which he has seen, the integrity that I've shown towards his mother, towards him, towards his brothers, towards other people, the way I've lived caused him to be in a place where he can actually trust me. So I've actually supplied him with faith. That's how it works. I've supplied him with belief. The place where we will have doubt in our life is when we want to supply ourselves with belief, when we want to renew our own minds by, by quoting verses or those kind of things. We've had such a strong faith in faith that we've never believed in God. Let me say that again. We've had such a strong faith in faith that we've never believed in God. We've had such a strong faith in faith that we've tried to do the funniest things just believing this is going to work. It's almost like New Age, you know. I remember one time somebody said to me, if you just see yourself, if you, just, if you can just envision something happening and you believe it's really going to happen, then it's going to happen. 
And that's the kind of thing. And then one or two things happen like that. I won't tell you, you can go and check that out. One or two things happen like that. And then when you want to use it to base your life on it, things go horribly wrong. You become weird. You, you become weird. You, you, you come to a place where you cannot live in normal society anymore. People look at you and they think you're a bit weird. You start to wear weird clothes. You start to wear your hair funny. You start to do many funny things. Why? Because you're trying to get so into the system that that very system is destroying you. You know, we trusting and bringing forth things by our trust has never been God's plan through which we will have to create a life for ourselves. God has come and He, that trust, that ability to trust, was given to us so that we can actually trust one another and feel what it is to believe in someone and feel what it feels like to have someone believe in you. And it is also the very thing through which God connects with, or through, it's the very thing, thing through which we allow God to have access into our life. So, faith is, the first point there, faith is where you find yourself in the condition or in the situation, that's a very better word, where you find yourself in the situation where God has won your friendship. Faith is also the place where you find yourself in the place where God has won your favor. God has won your favor. If somebody's got favor, you give him preference. So when, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to just define what faith is. We're going to talk now about how faith comes and how doubt can be removed from you. Because I want to tell you, even in doubt, I've got faith. Even in doubt. Even when I doubt that something good can take place, even, in I, if, even if I, Batibris, doubt in the area of, will God provide for me? Or will I be healed? Or will my kids be okay? Even in that doubt, I've got faith. So I've lost all doubt. Because even in doubt, I trust the Lord. Now you say, Bad, but how does that work? That sounds like a contradiction. It is not a contradiction. All it is is that we've taken the traditional word of faith teaching, for those of you that know what that is about, and we've directed faith towards stuff and not towards a historic event wherein all our sins has been taken away. Neither have we taken faith and directed it towards the person of God, but we've directed it towards stuff. And now what I'm saying is, when the word of faith, faith, when I, in the light of the word of faith, faith, doubt, I've still got a heart that trusts my Abba, which is greater than my doubts. I hope you hear what I'm saying. God has come to remove all doubt. In the presence of God, even when you doubt, you can rest. In the presence of God, even when you doubt, you can know He will be there. No, Bertie, I'm not sure about that. Well, look at Peter. You know, Peter, what did he do? He says, well, I will walk on the water. And when he doubted, what happened? He sank. And who saved him? Jesus. <laughs> and the Bible says as well, when they were in the storm, they allowed Jesus into the ship, and the ship immediately was on the other side. And it actually says they had no faith. So even the miracle that God... Your faith is not needed in order for a miracle to take place. I want to tell you, miracles take place every day with people who don't even believe. But in order for that miracle to have an, a true impact upon your life, you will have to have faith. And that you cannot decide to have. That is a condition you find in once God has become your friend. Not when you decide for God to become your friend. No, when He's won your friendship. When He's won your favor. Favor means you give him preference. If I favor one person over the other one and I have a Saturday evening off, I'm going to spend time with the one I favor. Why? Because they've won my favor. I don't go there so that I can win their favor. I go there because they've won my favor. So uh, we, we, we've so many times think that faith is something we provide God with so that we can win his favor so that he can do something for us. No. Faith is when God has won your favor, when you give Him the preference. Amen. Glory to God. It also talks about when somebody has won your goodwill or your good opinion. To be in the state or to be at the place where someone else has won your good opinion. Where when you think of Him, you've got a good opinion about Him. Glory to God. So God came in Jesus Christ 
so that we can have a good opinion about him again. God came in Jesus Christ to win our favor. God came in Jesus Christ so that we can be in the state or where we can find ourselves looking at God, saying, my friend, the one that I would rather be with, uh, the one that, um, that I have a very good opinion about. When you talk about God and say, tell me something about God, you will have the best things to say about him. Th that is what it talks about. That's why, you know, in my life, there was a time when I had great faith for stuff, but I had very little faith in God because I could believe it's possible for God to um, heal this sick person. It's possible for God to heal my sick body. I believe that it was possible for him. But I also believe that God can put me through hard times to purify me and test me. Now, believing those things together is what you call double-minded or doubt. It's where you've got um, a, a doubt. You're doubting the integrity of God, yet you also believe in His ability. It's like, He can do it, I just don't know if He wants to. I mean, my son would come and he would say to me, Dad, you know, uh, he came to me today. He said, Dad, can I buy myself a video game? Now, he knows that I've got the means to buy him a video game, but he's in doubt if I want to. <laughs> you know, so that's the whole thing. But he also comes in faith because he knows. He comes knowing his father is his friend. He comes knowing his father. He knows I've already won his favor. He knows that. So when he comes, he comes smiling and laughing and, you know, kind of, he doesn't want me to say no, but he also, because he really wants that thing, uh, but he also knows that my heart is for him. That is how it works. So God wants to win your friendship. That's why he will have to do things that actually win your friendship. Otherwise, he cannot, you cannot have faith. The last point on what faith is, it means, it is, where you have been tranquilized. That's beautiful. It's where you find yourself tranquilized by the integrity of someone else, tranquilized by his friendship, tranquilized by the good opinion, the good he's done, to the point that it numbs your feelings towards the fears and the aches and the pains of this world. That is faith. And everything I've mentioned here, you will see that the, the source of it all lies on the side of God. God will have to bring this forth. In. God will have to do things so that we can have faith. Now, we're going to look at what God has done, because if we can understand what God has done in Jesus, we will find that we can actually, or we then will find faith rising in our hearts. Now, if faith... If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then the word of God will have to be a word that can declare God in such a good place that you would desire his presence. You would want to be with someone like that. You would want to be with someone like that. Now, if I think of who I want to be with, now I want to, if, if I think of friends in this world, I true friends that I can just share my heart with. I mean, I can be a friend to sinners and I would be there because I see who he is. I see how valuable he is. I can see that maybe he is oppressed by things that, that, that are pushing him down and I want to be his friend. I want to be a friend of sinners. I want to win his friendship. But if you ask me, who's won my heart? What kind of a person wins my heart? It would be a person that is down to earth, normal guy. According to my mind, you know, I'm a little bit of a left brain, but um, a logical person. I like that kind of a being. I like that kind of a person. Logical person that can think analytically to a certain degree. I want that as well. Then I also want inside that some, some form of uh, 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 extravagance as well. I would like to be able to have an intelligent conversation with that person as well as bring that logic over into the gospel and talk a sensible gospel, have a sensible gospel conversation with that person. 
And then I would like other things, like I would like the person to enjoy the same things I enjoy. He must like a nice car and he must like, you know, a beautiful nature and s things like that. That's the kind of person that I would hang around with. That's also grown up in a to a certain degree inside my way of thinking, you know, in, uh, that likes 80s music. You know, not always. So those of you that are my friends that like the 60s music, please, <laughs> I'm not saying you're on a lower friendship. But please understand what I'm saying. It has to be someone that can speak my language, that can touch, strum the strings of my heart. So when God comes to win the friendship of man, when he's come to win our friendship, he had to do things that can cause us to feel, this guy, I want to talk to him. I want to be in his presence. I want to see his smile. I want to be with him because it's fun to be with him. And it is uh, uh, edifying. You know, sometimes you visit people and when you leave, you don't feel edified. And those where you feel edified and blessed, and that's who you want to go back to. So, in the same way, that is what God had to bring. He had to bring forth a word. If faith comes by hearing, it comes by a message that declares this friendship. Now, what God has done, and this is how entertaining He is, He has come and He's entertained us to the point that He became one of us. He became so much one of us that He took all of our weakness upon Him, all of our sin upon Him, and He came and He entered into our situation before we even asked Him, before we begged him, before we desired him to do any of that, and he manufactured a plan in the day Adam sinned, which, wherein he already said that, he said that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. Or the, then already, without man asking for anything, just the very need for life inside man was already a prayer request to God, and he answered that prayer the day he saw Adam fall. Because he wants man to be safe. And he brought forth Jesus. He became a man. Without our asking, he became all of us. The Bible says what the mind could never even think of, what we could not even pray or ask for, he brought forth. Amen in Jesus. So we see how he becomes our, how he does things that, we can only conclude that that guy must really like us. And he is a good man. And as we see him continually being good like that, in the three years that he was on the earth in his ministry, where he loved people that would, would, would be sinners, where he was kind to them, where he actually said, let me take upon me even the, 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 everything man can do to me. And let me become that cursed life that they are in. And let me end that. Let me then be raised up in human form, offering them the fullness of God as a free gift. You know, when we see that, you know what rises in our heart? We want to be with this guy. He's good. We start to feel that he is our friend. He's won our friendship. He's won our favor. All of a sudden, we find that we... We can only speak good things about him. We find that he is, we are so pleased by him. When we look at that, when we look at all that he's done there, it even tranquilizes the voice of death. We, we start to not even be afraid of death. We're tranquilized by that goodness. And that is called faith. That is the place where we have faith. Now, I want to read, or when we believe God, I want to read from Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. And I want to just use an example of Abraham here. And we're going to talk a little bit about, if we talk about the word that brings faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're going to just talk about that word quickly. And I want to bring, bring it forth from Romans 4 verse 1 to 5. And this is what it says. It says, what shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified... By works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him that works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him that does not work, but believes on him, 
who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay, so it says here that Abraham didn't receive anything because of any good thing he's done. He hasn't attained to anything because of any good thing he's done. What he attained unto was by faith, by actually believing that God can justify the ungodly. It says, he who believes that God can justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So what, what is true faith? True faith is when we are persuaded that God, when we've come into a friendship with God where the, the thought that comes from this friendship, this goodwill, this him winning my heart, him tranquilizing me, comes to the bottom line conclusion that he can justify the ungodly. That we need to believe. Ungodly according to law terms, of course. Uh, you know, we, we, sometimes we want to just say man is an ungodly thing. No, man is a godly thing. In him we live and move and have our being. Paul said, and he quoted Greek philosophers, he says, as your poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. And he used Greek logic and he said, that is the truth. Human beings all have their being in God. And to that extent, we are all holy. All are holy, set apart for his purpose, set apart for his life. A human being is a holy being. You cannot treat a human the way you're going to treat an ant. You cannot treat a human the way you treat the fly. You cannot treat a baby, a newborn baby, the way you're going to treat the common house fly or a cockroach. It's not the same kind of a being. The one is in a different degree of holiness than the other one. Humans are already holy. They are already God's kind of a being. So when the scripture says here that he justifies the ungodly, the context there is Jew and Gentile, and in the light of the law, when we look at a person, and by the law we say he's unholy, he doesn't qualify, he's not obeying anything, God can justify that person with eternal life. True faith is when you behold the friendship of God, that your bottom line conclusion is, this God can justify. Justify means to manifest according to it, your true righteousness. He can manifest eternal life for you, save you from what destroys you, and give you eternal life, give you a seat with Him in the Godhead in Christ. That is what He can do. That's the, that is true faith. So, if true faith is to believe that God can justify the ungodly, the Word must be a message of how God justifies ungodly people. It cannot be a word of how God blesses the faithful. It must be a word of how God blesses all those who don't qualify and don't live as what they're supposed to live according to the standard of the law. That is what we have to believe. Where he is a friend of sinners. Where they want to be with him. Amen. So that is how it works. So it's clear here that true faith is... A condition you find yourself in where you say and your heart is fully convinced that God justifies the ungodly. So, now, removing all doubt. If God justifies the ungodly, when I live in the law system according to rules and regulations and I define godliness by my work or where I do the right thing, we find inside our minds and this is just a very practical message, people. Inside our minds, the Lord renews us and He's given us a new mindset. But yet, in, the, in this world, we find right and wrong still being part of our logic. And we think, what I've done here is not right. And the next conclusion by it's not right is the message of, or the emotion of, disqualification. So now, we are at a place where we rely upon God based on the finished work of Jesus, that He will bless us, that He will protect us, that He will guide us, that even in the midst of the deepest darkness that we will have hope, that He's for us, 
that a bad thing that happens to us is no indication of who we are or any of those things. And then in this life, we do something that would be um, wrong. How can I say wrong? What's the right word there? Morally wrong. That would be the right. Morally wrong. We break the moral law. And according to the moral law, the first thing we think is, if, I've, if I haven't done this, I qualify for punishment or I qualify for not being blessed. So you find doubt in the area where there is still the basic law mindset of this world. There's a doubt. Yet, greater than the doubt is the belief of Jesus that justifies the ungodly. So when you see something in your life that where you feel ungodly, not right, I mean, we have people, you know, f- f- contacting our office with all kinds of problems. There are people contacting, I've got a drinking problem. I'm drinking, I'm drunk. I'm writing this to you, Pastor Berti, I'm drunk. You know, I've, I'm a believer in the Lord. I've been free for a while, but I'm drunk tonight. And I'm writing swear words and cuss words because I'm drunk. Or people come out on Facebook and write the most horrific things and then in private come and say, I'm drunk. You know, now, that person, the moment that happens, their greatest emotion is that of disqualification because of drinking. And there's a doubt that's based on the depth of law. But there's something greater than, there's something that's deeper than what any law can enter the human heart. And that is the message that God can justify those who under the law are declared as ungodly. In that context, we're actually talking about the Gentiles, sinners. So, in that we find all doubt removed by the faith God brings through His friendship with us. Can you understand what I'm saying? That you can actually have no doubt in the area of doubt. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. It sounds complicated, but it is so simple. That's why with me, you know, if, if I look at, um, you preach at a place, or you speak to someone, and, and maybe you, in hindsight, you look and you say, I should have handled it this way, I should have handled it that way. And then the next thing that comes to my mind is, it doesn't matter how you've handled it, I've got you. Because that is the deeper logic we live in, in Christianity. As long as what you're in this world, you're always going to be confronted with have you done the right thing or have you not done the right thing. And inside that right and wrong, there'll be a level of doubt. But the depth of that doubt can never reach the depth of the trust that comes by the true word of God, which is the friendship of God, where he's won our friendship, where he's won our favor, where he's won our goodwill, and where he has pleased us and tranquilized us with what is done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, I trust this message has really encouraged you and blessed you today. Um, as we end this, uh, this message, I want to just reach out to every person that's out there. And you may be going through a very difficult time. You might say, man, I've watched all the grace preachers. I've watched Bertie Brits. I've watched uh, 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 Joseph Prince. I've watched uh, uh, Creflo Dollar. I've watched... Man, I've watched from Universalist unto John Crowder unto whoever. I've watched all of them. But I'm sitting here and I'm not having victory and I'm going through a very difficult time. I won't tell you that there's a God that justifies the ungodly. And that's the one we believe in. I think of the one, one man that one day phoned me and he said to me, Bertie, you know, you've preached this wrong on my TV station. You've done that wrong. You've done that wrong. You've done And he just went and he... And man, I, it felt like forever, but I think it was maybe five or ten minutes. He went on to tell me how bad I am. And, I say, and then he said to me, so I want to tell you, that is, that is what, and, and then I, was, I, I just felt so accused. And I just heard the voice of my Abba saying to me, and I justify the ungodly. And then I said to him, sir, even if everything you've said is true. I want to. I believe. I don't believe in the God that justifies the godly, or those who've done everything right. Even if I've done something wrong, I'm sorry, but I believe in the God that justifies the ungodly. So my future is bright. Glory to God. 
Hallelujah. And nothing that I do in this world, born from this grace message, can ever vanish. It will remain forever, for it's got eternal life. And that's it. For I believe, and that's how in great accusation, where, you know, when you preach sometimes, you preach things and you're radical and people come, you know, you've hurt this person. That one's life is falling. This, this, this. You can hear all of that. And then you can guilt because you don't want to hurt anybody. Well, I believe in the God that gives life to those who don't do everything right. Amen. Isn't that an absolute peace? So maybe you're going through that today. Now I want to say to you, in the midst of all of that, greater than what the doubt can ever come to your heart is the depth of His peace and faith that comes from His friendship with you. And I want to say to you, if you're struggling with things, I speak over your life the truth that freedom is yours. And however legalism and law or however wrong belief has come to harm your life, there's a depth that we can trust in, the integrity of God towards man. And He brings you a brand new life. He brings you peace. He, I stretch forth my hands and I say, life is yours in Jesus' mighty name. I encourage you by telling you that He is greater than your shortcoming, He is greater than your mistake. And even the doubt that your mistake brings can never reach the depths of the trust His friendship brings with sinners. Hallelujah. Peace is yours. Amen and amen. I want to thank you so much for watching. Please feel free to contact our office or just go to our website, dynamicministries.com. Go to contact us. Please feel free to contact us if you've got any prayer request or a desire that any of our um, pastors should contact you. Please let us know and we would, uh, we would get one of our pastors to contact you and minister to you if need be. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank everybody that's just so generous towards this ministry. Thank you for your contributions and just the love that you have towards us. You guys are great. Thank you so much and I'll see you again next week. God bless. Thank you.